We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, but I want to remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we were introduced to this church. Uh, They're called the church in Corinth. They are the Corinthian believers there in this city. And chapter 1 basically tells us what Paul thinks about them. He says, you are the sanctified ones. You are ones who have been saved and set apart and gathered together as a body of believers here in Corinth. And so he says that, and he he talks about all these marvelous things that they have by God's grace. But then in chapter one, towards the end, he he mentions also, but hey, uh, Chloe's people, they, remember she's the gangster of Corinth, and she has people. They told me that the church has some divisions. Y'all are fighting over me, Apollos, Cephas, which again is the apostle Peter. And then there's like a group who like claim that they're on Jesus's side. And then we move into chapter two and he, he's still addressing the divisions there, but then he starts talking about the way in which the world looks at the church and thinks that they're foolish. And he says, Jesus Christ is quite literally the wisdom and power of God. He was sent to be a physical image of God's power and God's wisdom to his people. Power and wisdom, because in God's wisdom, he would save us from our sin by sending his son to die. And what Paul says is that is really weird to the world, that you would say the way to live is through the death of the Son of God, and through the death of the Son of God, you're actually called to die to yourself as well. And he says that's the wisdom and power of God, and the world thinks it's foolish. But this is what we have from God. And then we move into chapter 3, and we see this uh, scene where Paul is telling them, hey, you're acting like infants. You're, You're baby Christians. I was here a year and a half ago, and you're still acting like babies. And you're fighting over who's the best preacher, who's your favorite spiritual leader, who's the best teacher. And you are just really immature in your faith. And so he calls them to maturity, and he, he reminds them that this maturity is first and foremost accessible to them because of the work of Jesus Christ for them. And now we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is once again addressing for the final time this this idea of having a favorite teacher and divisions and all of the issues that that is causing in their church. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to dig in. So it says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us. This is Paul talking. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or in a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that is in God's word, his instruction, his word to us, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. All right, so starting in verse 8, the Apostle Paul gets a little sarcastic. So let's just see where he goes with this. Verse 9, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles 
as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish or teach you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ or teachers, you do not have many fathers, for I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of the ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere, in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, which is discipline, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? All right, well, let's pray. We'll dig in. God, thank you for this time. I pray that you would work this word into our hearts. Help us, Lord, not to just see some boxes we're to check, not to just see some things we're to do better, but to see the hope that the gospel gives us to live the lives that you have called us to live. Well, Father, that's the strange thing about the Bible is that we have nothing to offer you and you have given us everything in Christ. And yet because of what Christ has done for us, you then call us to live a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Father, help us to do that tonight. Help us to understand that and help us to be more like Christ and to glory in him this evening. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's my question for you. What does your life say about who you serve? So if you were just to take a snapshot of your life, maybe the last week, the last month, the last year, what does your life say about who you serve? Or ask it in another way. Who do you live your life for? So I have three things that I want to to look at from chapter four this evening. The first is this. Paul, in verses one through five, is helping us. He is giving us what to look for and expect in a ministry leader. So none of us should really be surprised that the world values those who are worth valuing. What I mean, and you know this, I don't even have to tell you, but the world values rich people, famous people, talented people, powerful people, beautiful people. And so what's happening in this church here in Corinth is as these believers acting immature in their faith, they are looking to Paul and Apollos and Cephas, and they're saying, well, yeah, but this dude's the best teacher. He, he can preach the, the word of God like nobody. Paul's attacking this head on. He's saying, listen, the, the world thinks in those terms. The world values people who are worth valuing. The world aligns itself with people worth aligning themselves to, right? We only go or gravitate towards people who are advantageous to us. That is, we want to be on the winning side. That's why you have something called a bandwagon fan. There are people who want to align themselves with those who are the winners, the champions. But the reason Paul wants to warn Corinth away from doing that inside of the church is because he doesn't want them to think that that's God's standard of value, that God himself somehow values those who are worth valuing. 
And so Paul, he tells us, he's, he's telling this church and by extension telling us, he says, what makes a leader worth following is their understanding of their role. Not how good they are at what they do, but their understanding in, we're talking in the church, I'm not talking about like a football coach, so just go ahead and get that out of your mind. I'm talking about leaders within the church. And so what Paul is saying is a leader worth following is one who understands their role correctly. He's telling them, don't assess leaders by their skills, but who they view themselves to be before God. That is the mark of who is worthy of following. That's the mark of who is worthy of your attention, right? Because again, I, I, I'm, I'm saying like, don't listen just to Tyler. Listen to me as I preach the word. But even in that moment, understand that I know who I am in this moment. I, I am telling you that I have in and of myself nothing to offer you outside of the word of God. And so if you were just to come to this place and I didn't have this book, you'd be getting stuff like, man, I'll tell you what, I got a pretty wife. I mean, I'd do all the weird youth pastor stuff that is really cringy because that's all I would have, right? I would have nothing to say. My jokes are horrible. My advice is probably lackluster. I, have, I do have some pretty cool stories, but that's all I have. And I have four of them. We would be able to meet for one month and you would never come back because I would run out of stuff, right? Paul is saying, well, none of that actually matters. We're not looking at them as worthy of being followed because of who they are, how awesome they are. We're looking at them in terms of who they know they are before God. And what he says is a proper leader, a leader worth following, a leader worth listening to is not someone who is amazing. It's not someone who has a following. It's not someone who is famous on social media. It's someone who understands that they are a servant of God. It's someone who realizes that the purpose of this moment is not me, right? It's a strange thing in Christian churches, and uh, many other non-Christian religions don't do this. You do realize that, by the way? They don't gather in a room and have someone stand up, typically, and they just sit and listen. Not like this. And so this is a weird thing in Christianity that we gather and you sit and you listen to me. Now, the temptation, though, in this moment is to twist what's happening, the moment, the temptation of this moment for me is for me to be like, yes, look at me. Listen to me. I have all of the answers for you. In fact, all of you are staring at me right now. And what I need you to do is I need you to realize you're a sinner and that for $5 I can say, right? Like, <laughs> that's the temptation. Paul says, no, I'm a servant. This is not and will never be about me. This Christianity thing is not about me. My purpose is not me. And so he says, a, a leader is called to point others to God, to draw attention to him. It's not about prestige or winning friends. It's not about me being influential. It's about faithfully stewarding the gospel. He says, I'm a servant and I'm a steward. What that means is that I serve God. My purpose, my role in life, my role in my job is to serve God and to steward the gospel. Do you know what a steward is? It, it's this, let me just tell you. If I picked one of you and said, hey, can you um, for this evening take care of my phone? You would be a steward of my phone. You would have what belongs to me in your ownership and you would be responsible for caring for that thing. Well, Paul says the gospel of Jesus Christ has been given to me to care for. Do you know what Jesus's mission was? It was to be born a baby, to live a sinless life, and to die on a cross for people who didn't deserve it. You know what that's called? 
God's plan of redemption. It's called salvation. And Paul says, I am a steward of that. And so what Jesus Christ did for sinners is what I am called to steward. I am to serve God's purposes. I am to point people to Jesus. I am to tell them that you are a sinner. You are on your way to hell without Christ. But the good news is God has given Christ. And anyone who would look to him would be saved of their sin. I'm a servant of God and a steward of the gospel. It's pretty important to Paul that we find leaders who teach us to worship God instead of them. Paul does not want you to someday become a young adult or an adult and get yourself in a situation where you go to a church and that church is all about that man who stands in the pulpit. Paul does not want that for you and for me. But he doesn't tell us these things so that we can know just what a faithful leader looks like. He tells us because we're supposed to imitate them in serving Jesus. So we're not supposed to just be able to identify them. Paul will eventually tell them that we're called to imitate them. But before he does that, in verses 6 through 13, he does something else. The second point is this. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? He gives two examples, the Corinthians and Paul himself. So verses 6 through 7, he, it's almost like he's saying, okay, before I go any further, because so here's what a ministry leader is to be. Here's who we really are. I know you guys are fighting over us, but we're actually just servants and stewards. But before we go any further, let's get something straight. Being a disciple of Jesus should cause us to be humble people. He even tells them, what do you have that wasn't given to you? And so he wants them to understand this life is not just about finding a good spiritual leader. It's about first and foremost, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he tells them, if you are truly disciples, you're going to stop arguing about these things and you're going to put on humility. But there's a problem. There's a problem in Corinth. They have received God's gifts. They have received God's spirit. And now they're boasting as if God's free gifts to them are simply products of how spiritual and mature they are. So what they ended up doing is they created levels of spirituality. And this is really important for us, by the way. They they started to judge one another based on what they were doing. Now, why is that a problem? Well, number one, it's stupid. That's not like the most biblical thing, but let me just tell you, it's stupid. Paul says, think about this logically. When you become a believer, what does God impart to you for free? Not salvation, a person. Who is it? Who does God fill us with? The Holy Spirit. And so he says, okay, so if believers are those who are filled with the Spirit, not because of what they have done, but because what Christ has done for them, Why are you fighting and boasting about how spiritual you are? You are only saved because God is kind. That should be the beginning of our humility. Like in this room, like think about it. You guys, you are teenagers and you are constantly, I was a teenager and it was the same for me as it is for you. That that somehow, for some reason, you are either better or worse than other people around you. That is a lie of the devil. And the worst part is, is because we live in a fallen world, we actually believe that. And we treat others according to that lie. We look around and we think, well, yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, and I did this. Like, I'm a jock. Like, it's, it's what I do. I'm a sports guy. And then you have the people in the band, and it's like, yeah, they're the band. They play at our games. And it changed how I treated them. I, I, I can't tell you 
especially as believers. There was this kid, his name was Davy Rowe, and I was so cruel to him. I was so mean to him. And when I became an adult, do you know what I had to do when the Lord really started growing me in my faith? I reached out to Davy Rowe and I apologized to him. But that is what you are being tempted to. And Paul says, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what the world does. The world is cruel. The world values people that are, have the appearance of value. But you're the church. You're followers of your disciples. What do you have that hasn't been given to you? And it, it should cause us to be humble. It should cause us to realize, you know what, having a conversation with this person isn't going to diminish my social status. It will actually be a good thing for me and this person. This will actually bolster the truth and the beauty of the gospel because two people that the world thinks don't go together can be together because our identity is not in our worldly value or prestige or appearance or power or how, how awesome we are. What can we boast in? Paul says nothing. And so that should change the way in which you live your life as a believer. So then what Paul does is he reminds them of one more thing before moving on. He says, following Jesus has put me... So, so not, only, not only is that what the world does, and not only should you be driven to humility as a disciple, he says one more thing about being a disciple. He says, following Jesus has put me at odds with the world, right? He says, I have become foolish, I have become weak, and I have become dishonorable to the world for my faith. And by the way, to some of you in Corinth, right? That's, remember I said, here's some sarcasm. He was talking about them, right? Y'all are saying like, man, Paul is a lame teacher. Y'all need to hear Peter. That dude is so good at preaching. Paul, I don't think he graduated high school, right? He's talking about them. I, I've been, for my faith, I've been called foolish and weak and dishonorable. He says, but disciples are called to meet hate with blessing. We're called to meet persecution with endurance, and we're called to meet insults with truth and kindness. So the world is going to treat you one way, and maybe even immature believers are going to be tempted to treat you one way. But he says a true disciple meets all of that, understanding that we are living for the cross. What does that mean? It means that Christ has died for us and that we are to die to ourselves. That we are stewards of the gospel. We are servants of God and we live our lives like Christ lived his. And so we meet all of these things with Christ-likeness. It's a mark of a disciple. And so the point uh, that he is making is that our faith isn't about being served, and our faith is certainly not about serving ourselves. Our faith is about serving the Lord. That is what a disciple does. So the final thing, Paul tells us then, so when we find these good leaders, and then, hey, by the way, here's what a real disciple is. By the way, uh, Paul, I am, I'm one of them. <laughs> okay, now when you find these leaders, he tells us to model our life after people who desire Jesus more than themselves. Model your life after people who desire Jesus more than themselves. So Paul's point, he tells us, is to encourage the Corinthians, right? In verse 14, he even tells them, right? I did not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, my beloved children. His point is to encourage these believers to rid themselves of these worldly values that have crept into their worship. So all of these things that the world values, these, these, these 
the lies of the devil, rid yourself of those things. Little children, rid yourself of them. Do not let those things be in this church anymore. So we, uh, we have a pool and it's an above ground pool because that's the socioeconomic status that I live in. And so we have a deck. You don't know what that means. It means I am too poor to have an in-ground pool. So we have this deck that you have to walk up to because again, above ground, right? doesn't go in the ground because that costs more money. It has a deck and I don't know, like 43,000 times every summer, we have to like knock on the window or run to the door and say, get off pool deck, right? To the boys. They're constantly up there. Get off the pool deck. Get off the pool deck. Get off the, it's locked. Like, how do you get in there? It's like one moment they're over here playing and it's like, they like are just, they're there, they appear and they're in imminent danger and they don't know it. It's not that we don't want good things for them. It's not that we're trying to stifle them or somehow make this experience worse for them. We're actually trying to save their life so they can live and actually enjoy the pool. Little children, I'm not telling you this to make you ashamed. I'm telling you this to teach you. So everything that's happened so far in talking about these relationships in the church from Paul's perspective and from my perspective to you is to help you know what it means to live together as disciples, not for yourselves, not even primarily for other people, but for God first. And he wants them to know that. He, he is warning them, shape your lives around God's purposes in Christ. Let the gospel be, be who you are right? That you know that you are a sinner saved by grace and that there are a bunch of sinners around you that need to be saved by grace. And they need to be treated with grace and compassion and mercy and kindness, and they need to hear truth. But Paul does realize that we won't have it all together. That's why he actually encourages them to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Listen, you do realize Paul saying, hey, imitate me, means he realizes that we're going to be messed up. This is good news to you, because do you know who you don't need to imitate? Someone who is worse than you. So what he is saying is, imitate me, as in, look to me to grow. That's good news, because it means that growing in our faith isn't just us doing this thing or going to our hidden prayer closet or going home tonight and sitting in our bed and trying to read but being really distracted or coming to this place enough time in the year and it's just all about you 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 have you grown closer to the lord that's usually my question because it is pointed towards you but what paul is saying is it's not just about you it involves others too your growth in your faith your growth in maturity, your growing up as a Christian involves other people. You're to look for people who are mature that you can imitate because you can look to them and say, okay, well, how would they do this? How, how would they handle this? How would they talk to this person? How would they think about this situation? The world is full of people that want to teach you about God. Some of those people are good and some of them are really horrible. There are really good preachers that you can get online and listen to, and they're awesome, and they just preach really good sermons, and you can be encouraged so much by them. But you can also find people who have really awesome, flashy churches and wear really expensive shoes that cost more than my pool, by the way, and they will just tell you garbage. They will tell you that serving the Lord will make you a happier person. It will make you a wealthier person. Well, no, the Bible says that we will be people of joy and that primarily our joy will come through giving up everything that we have. Now, in the meantime, you may have some money. Someday you may even have an in-ground pool. But happiness and joy aren't the same thing. 
So you have all kinds of people who want to teach you about God. But spiritual parents want to help you live the gospel. That's the difference between all of these teachers and Paul who's saying you don't have many fathers. Why is it that I tell Max or Calvin or Theo to get off of the pool deck? Because I want them to really experience life. And to experience life, all right, stick with me, look at this. To experience life, you need to not be dead, right? And so I tell them. And so fathers and mothers in the faith, they want you to to live the gospel. They want to see you live the gospel. They want to see the gospel become who you are. All right, so let's close it. How how, how do we do this? How, How do I live for Jesus instead of me? Like, what am I supposed to do now? Well, honestly, the answer is pretty easy. You just have to be willing to do it. The answer is look for someone who pursues Jesus with their life and ask if you can learn from them. That's an easy answer. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. But guess what? If you came to one of us and you said, hey, um, I, I'd really just love to like sit and talk about the Bible with you. I, I would have fireworks going off in my brain. Find someone who pursues Jesus with their life and ask if you learn from them. And then what you do after that, after they say absolutely, you enter that person's life and you soak up their wisdom and you imitate their pursuit of Christ. If you're thinking, well, who is that person? Maybe you have someone in mind that you're very close to. Maybe, maybe it's your parent. Go home tonight and just say, hey, dad, hey, mom, can I, can I just glean from you? Can I learn from you what it means to live in the faith? Your parents are going to be like, uh, yes. And then they're going to be like, you do realize that I'm the person that sometimes yells at you. Right? But another good option is all of these leaders right here. That's why we're here. It, it is our sole purpose for being here. Gaga Ball is pretty cool, but my, my back hurts now. I'm not here for that. I am here because I understand your leaders are here because they understand that we are servants of Christ, we are servants of God's purposes, and we are stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to just teach you, we want to see you live that in your life.